Good morning, EBC. My name's David, and by God's grace, I am an authentic Christian. Authentic. Do you know that's the word of the year for 2023, according to Merriam-Webster uh, Dictionary? It means real or genuine, not fake or imitation. It, it may also mean being true to oneself or to some widely accepted principle or standard. Do you, do you want what's authentic? I mean, you know, apart from the cost, wouldn't you rather have an authentic gemstone or an authentic recording or maybe an authentic experience? You know, with, with artificial intelligence on the rise and how it's impacting things like academic honesty or deep fake videos and things like that, it's becoming ever more difficult to tell what's genuine or authentic from what's fake or imitation. And so I'll say it again, I'm the real deal. I'm a genuine, authentic believer in Jesus. Along with all the other members in this church, we really truly believe that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus really did come from God into this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that he really was born as a baby to a virgin named Mary. It's not just a Christmas card image. We really believe that he lived a perfect life, a life without sin, and that he died a criminal's death to pay the penalty of sin as a substitute for all who would genuinely follow him. We believe he really died on the cross and was buried and was sealed into a tomb. And we genuinely believe without any hint of doubt that three days later he rose again from the grave. We're betting our lives on this fact that Jesus will grant eternal life to those who believe in him. This is what we, the members of EBC, genuinely believe. Now, why am I going on about this? Well, because from the statement that we're looking at today in our statement of faith, the perseverance of the saints, the, the point of that statement is that God will complete the salvation that he's begun. God will complete the salvation that he's begun. But this statement begins with a specific type of people, genuine believers. And we're going to look at three main thoughts following along with the statement. First, that genuine believers endure. Second, that genuine believers sin. And third, that genuine believers are kept by God. So let's look at this statement. The statement begins, we believe that genuine believers are only those who endure to the end. It's their persevering attachment to Christ. It is the grand mark which distinguishes them from those who falsely profess faith in Christ. 
So the first point that we need to understand is that genuine believers endure. Now to endure or to persevere means to continue on even in the face of great difficulty, to keep going against the odds even when there seems little hope for success. That's what it means to persevere or endure. Now this word perseverance may may be confusing. It, 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 it almost seems to communicate that God starts something that now we must carry on or persevere in. Maybe we think this because of our tendency to think of ourselves as the hero of the story. You know, we do that. We read perseverance as a verb, an action that we must do. But when we keep this statement in view with all the statements that we looked at before, especially statements 7 through 11, we remember that God is the hero, not us. (laughs) Our one act is to respond to what he has done. He's the one that's done it. So perseverance may be something we do, but it's not primarily we who are the actor. It's him. It's better to understand perseverance as an adjective describing God's action for us. You know, in fact, some have considered Uh, maybe even renaming this article or this doctrine, the perseverance of the Savior as he perseveres us in the faith. Now let's consider why genuine believers will endure as we see that God is, he's, he's the beginning, he's throughout the process, and he's the ultimate end of salvation. God is the beginning of salvation. What I mean by that is it's God's idea. It was his plan. Ephesians 1 says it so clearly, and we've looked at this before. Ephesians says, In him we were also chosen. This is Ephesians 1.11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Friends, He's done it all. And He's working everything together according to plan. His plan. I I mean, believer, just... If you believe in Jesus, just take a moment and look back into your life and see how He has worked out the details of your life, bringing circumstances and experiences and even the pains and joys of your life to bring you to a place where you would finally acknowledge Him. Where you would understand the serious condition that you were in because of your sin and then by your own voluntary action or choice, you believed and obeyed the gospel. You... You know, if if you could have saved yourself, you wouldn't have need of a Savior. Now, 
I know, as I, as I reflect on my own life, I, I know he worked out everything together for me. When, when that gospel call came, I couldn't resist. I was so compelled by my great need and so convinced of his great salvation. And once I accepted how insignificant I really am in this world, the choice was easy, super easy. I like that parable, like the man in that parable where he goes into the marketplace and he finds this pearl of great value and he runs home. He sells everything he has just to buy that pearl. That's what it's like. What could I do but to gratefully and joyfully accept God's far better offer to believe what Jesus had done to pay the debt of my sin? And I'm sure if you think about your own salvation, you'll be in a similar place. You know, even the faith we had to receive that salvation wasn't our own. If you look just a further into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see that? The faith, it is the gift of God, not by your works so that no one can boast. So God was the beginning of salvation. He's, he's all throughout our salvation. Salvation is, is by God's grace through faith, and even that faith is God's. Now, he, he made salvation possible by sending his son to die on that cross. When? Long before you or I were alive. He gives us a new heart and his spirit so that we can respond to the gospel. And, and then, but having those new heart and his spirit, it almost feels as if we choose him, doesn't it? It feels like we do, but in reality, we couldn't have chosen him if he hadn't first chosen us. And then God gives us the strength to turn from our sin and to follow Jesus. God's the beginning of salvation. And he's active throughout our salvation. And and I would say to you, he is also the end of our salvation. Friends, what is the goal of salvation for you. Why are you following Jesus? What do you want at the end of all of this? Is it peace and possessions that you haven't had here? Is it freedom from oppression? Or maybe from from the guilt and shame of sin? Is Is it eternal life in heaven? Well, of course, we understand the kingdom of heaven is not going to be sitting on a cloud with a harp, right? But you know what? It's also far more than streets paved with gold. It's more than no pain, more than no tears, more than no more death. The goal of the gospel, the end of of salvation is not simply eternal life in heaven, friends. It's God himself. He is the goal of the gospel. Heaven without God would be like a honeymoon without a groom or a bride. It'd be like a kingdom without a king. 
As John Piper has said, the highest, the fullest, the deepest, the sweetest good of the good news is God Himself. To be enjoyed by His redeemed people. He, friends, is what our hearts long for. In heaven, according to Revelation, He is the focus of all the attention. Did you notice that? He's the one the multitudes bow down before. He's the one all the songs are sung for. He's the one who replaces the light of the sun. Oh, friends, he is the goal of salvation. God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of salvation. He has done it all, and he will complete what he has begun. Yet, we, genuine believers, we must also personally seek to endure to the end. First uh, John 1.5, let me have you turn there. First John 1.5, oh, sorry, First John 5.18 connects our responsibility for turning away from Sin with God's work in keeping believers safe from evil, as he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God, that would be Jesus, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. What he means is that those who are born of God no longer make a practice of sinning. No longer thinking about so much about themselves, worrying about their own honor, their, their own pleasures or their hopes. Genuine believers have repented. They've turned away from their walk towards self and sin. And they've turned to walk with Christ, to follow Him, to love and to focus on honoring God and to think about how others and how to please them. You know, those who would say, you know, God has forgiven all my sins. I can, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter now. They are dead wrong. Yes, God forgives all our sin, but it does matter how we live now. In fact, our, our covenant here at EBC emphasizes our role in seeking to live a blameless life also when it says we have an obligation to lead a new and holy life because we bear the name of Christ. That's what it means to, to live a sanctified life. And as I mentioned last week in the statement on sanctification, Sanctification is that process of transformation. Believers are, are growing progressively to look more like God in true righteousness and holiness until the day of judgment. Yes, we are justified when we believe. God declares us Righteous. Our legal position before God in that moment is 100% perfect. 
blameless because we're covered. We're covered by the sacrificial death of Christ. But right now, right now, as we continue living in this flesh, God expects us and he helps us to be sanctified. Hebrews 10, 14 says it. He says, for by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, made perfect forever. It's past tense. He made them perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Present and continuous. All who believe and trust in Christ's sacrifice have been justified. They are united. They are one with Christ in his death and resurrection. And now, in daily life, so being united with Christ, they are being sanctified. And they, friends, you who believe like that, are saints. You are the saints. That's why the statement is called the perseverance of the saints. It's this persevering attachment to Christ in sanctification that marks a genuine believer from those who would falsely profess to be a Christian. But then it begs a certain number of questions. Can saints sin? What if, what if a Christian fails or falls into sin? Could you be in danger of losing the very salvation for which Christ died? Well, that's the question of our second point. Genuine believers sin. Genuine believers sin. The statement goes on to say, Christians may fall into sin which grieves the spirit, impairs their graces and comforts, brings reproach on the church and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be renewed again to repentance. So, Christians may fall into sin. May. As As I've explained before, if the Son sets you free from sin then brother and sister, you are free indeed. Believer, you can actually choose not to sin. You don't have to sin. Now, the likelihood is that you may sin from time to time. The point is that we're not sinless. Only Jesus is sinless. But in Christ, we are striving to sin less as we grow in Christ-likeness. We're not sinless, but we're striving to sin less. So the question is, what, what happens when I do sin? What then? Well, the statement outlines several consequences that a genuine believer will be renewed to repentance. So there's consequences and this renewal to repentance. Two things there. Sin's consequences. There's three relationships that the statement points out. First, that sin grieves the spirit. Now, to grieve means to bring sadness. I'll illustrate. I love my kids. I've loved them 
from the time they were a little baby until, until now, even when they did wrong. I was so happy when they walked in, in truth and goodness, so happy. But when they did wrong, it caused grief as a parent, right? I didn't want to discipline them, even though that was necessary. And as a human parent, I was grieved by their sin. And in a similar way, God is grieved when we turn from truth and goodness and and turn to walk in sin. And Paul uses this phrase uh, when he's giving examples of how a Christian ought to live. Uh, He he, he inserts this consequence of sin in verse 30 of chapter 4, Ephesians is where I am. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Isn't that amazing? Both those truths right there in the same verse. Don't grieve the Spirit, but you've been sealed for the day of redemption. So firstly, sin grieves the Spirit. Second consequence is that sin brings reproach on the church. I'm taking these a little out of order, but... To bring reproach means to bring down the church's reputation. Uh, recently, I've been consulting with another church as they've had some, some struggles with sin of some of their members. That sin has deeply affected those former members, but it's also been sad to see how that sin has been affecting the entire church. There are divisions within that that body, their hurt feelings, or broken trust, and even people outside the church are talking about these issues. It's really sad. Sin not only grieves the spirit, but it can bring reproach on the church. And the third, third relationship is, is, is ourselves. Sin impairs our graces and comforts and brings temporal judgment on a believer. Now, now, to impair something means to, to damage, to weaken, or to, to hinder it in some way. When a believer sins, it's like it, it gets in the way of God's grace that's leading us to be more like Christ. Uh, it's, it's like dark clouds blocking the bright sun. Sin impairs grace. It doesn't take it away. It just blocks it, impairs it. Sin causes discomfort. Whatever gladness sin promises to you is temporary. Ultimately, sin makes us sad. I'm sure you felt that when you've sinned. As God's child, knowing that we've caused him grief, grieves us. And one way we see sin impair grace and bring temporal judgment is in relation to the, uh, the Lord's Supper that we celebrate every month. The, the Lord's Supper is one means of grace that, that sin impairs, that blocks. You, you've heard me say it. Uh, if, if you have a sin for which you've not repented, you should not take the supper. And in this way, it's, it's, it's like a temporal judgment even. Now, the Lord's Supper, like I always say, it's not about being good enough to participate, but about living in the repentance that the meal represents. Now, with sin, the way to deal with sin properly is 
through repentance. That's the promise of perseverance. Secondly, that that genuine believers shall be renewed again to repentance. Genuine believers shall be renewed again to repentance. Repentance is that humble turning from sin and self and turning to God. And such humble repentance, it doesn't feel good when you're in the midst of it, does it? Not in that moment. Repentance is is hard, and, and I think it ought to feel uncomfortable so that the next time we're tempted, we'll think again about doing that thing. You know, oh, I don't, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have to humble myself again and repent. So maybe I just won't do that thing. Repentance may not feel good in the moment, but when forgiveness is offered, when forgiveness is, is received, there is such great joy, isn't there? I mean, knowing that sin is covered by Christ means I can, I can run to the Father. I know He will hold me fast and that it, He will save me and never let me go. And this joy and repentance and forgiveness works not only in that vertical way between us and God, but, but also in this horizontal way between us and our brothers and sisters. That same joy, that same feeling of of just exhilaration when forgiveness comes happens this way too. Therefore, brothers and sisters, for the joy of the forgiveness that can be set before you, I want to call you to endure the discomfort of repentance. I want to call you to endure the discomfort of repentance so that you may sit with your brothers and sisters in true reconciled relationship. And there will be joy. Now, it must be said that there is a warning we have to take, take heed of. The warning uh, to those who make a practice of sinning. Uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews offers, uh, I think it's six warnings. I'm just going to pick up one in, in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, where in, at the, in verse 26 and 7, and then also verse 31, if we deliberately keep on sinning, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. In verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, it's this way that, that people will show that they may not actually be true believers, genuine believers. Maybe they are those who falsely profess. I mean, some would say, I'm a sinner, I'm forgiven, I don't need to change. But that's not Christ's way. That's a lie from Satan. 
Friend, do you have a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God? Is that something you fear? Then, then friend, it, if so, it's not too late for you. Hear this truth about Christ, who is the sacrifice for sins. And believe the good news that as the sacrifice of atonement, he brings reconciliation with God. Jesus, you see, paid all the punishment for the sins that we deserve. And then rising again, he proved that Satan, sin, and death now have no hold on the one who genuinely believes in Jesus. You see, through faith in Christ, you can be completely free from their power. Christ frees you from their chains. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So when you believe, He, in, he then also enables you to follow Him. He enables you to walk in righteousness. I mean, consider the fact, we talked about how God brings all these things together. Consider the fact that you may be hearing this message right now. That's God's grace to you. Question is, will you now walk in it? Will you walk in the grace of God? That first step, your first step in that walk is to repent and believe this good news. Think about that. And, at, and your next steps in the Christian walk are to repent and believe. And every step after that in the Christian life, from now until you stand before the King in heaven, is to repent and believe. Friends, that's what it means. Repentance and forgiveness is the way forward for the saints of God throughout your time of sanctification. Genuine Christians may fall into sin, yet they shall be renewed again to repentance. And the statement also continues that genuine believers will be kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. This is our third point. Genuine believers are kept by God. You who genuinely believe, you did nothing to gain your salvation. So since you did nothing to gain it, you can't do anything to lose it either. You will be kept by the power of God. The same power that saved you is the same power that keeps you. One of the most encouraging passages about God's power to keep those he calls in salvation is what we read earlier in the service, John 10, verses 27 to 30. I'll just pick up that part. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So believer, how will you know that you're going to make it to the end? Well, if it were up to you, you probably wouldn't. <laughs> how do you know? 
Because the good shepherd. Like a good shepherd, Jesus knows his sheep. He knows whom he has called to himself. He gives them life. He gives them life, eternal life. No one overpowers this shepherd. He's greater than all. Question, friend. Are you listening to his voice? My sheep know me and they listen to my voice. Are you listening to his voice? Are you following him? In these ways, you will be attaching or are attaching yourself to Christ. That persevering attachment to Christ, the good shepherd, and being renewed repeatedly to repentance. These are the marks of genuine faith, genuine believers. Those who are like this are genuinely in his sheepfold and will never, ever be taken away. Not by anyone. Your shepherd will never let you go. He will never let anyone snatch you out of his hand. Satan can't snatch you away. The government can't snatch you away. Even you can't snatch yourself away from his righteous right hand. This same promise shows up in so many scriptures. Uh, Philippians 1.6 that Andre re- uh, prayed earlier, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus is the last day when final judgment and resurrection happen and he will bring those who believe into his kingdom. It is the final step in God's plan of sending Jesus for our salvation. John 6, John 6, 39 to to 40 says it this way. And this is the will of him who sent me, the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. All that the Father has given will look to the Son and believe. They are born again. And all of those will be raised to eternal life on that last day. None will be lost, not one. Jesus promises, even in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's with us. He's holding us fast, keeping us firm until the end, right? And as, even as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.8, he says, he will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we can be blameless because Jesus took the guilt and shame of our sin on the cross. He credits his righteousness to us. He sends his Holy Spirit to empower us to leave sin and to live for him. Some would call this eternal security. 
our statement calls it the perseverance of the saints. And it means that those whom God has chosen, who, who are born again by His Holy Spirit, who have been transformed by this gospel, who, have, who are repented and, and, and believed, those who are regenerated and redeemed, those who are saved and sanctified, authentic saints of God, genuine believers in Jesus, will never be cast away. They will never be snatched from His hand. Yes, genuine believers may sin, but genuine believers will endure to the end because they are kept by the power of God. And genuine believer, God will complete the salvation He has begun in you. God will complete the salvation He has begun in you. Let's pray. Father God, we stand amazed that you would even reveal salvation to us, to unworthy people, people who, who, who don't deserve one bit of your mercy. And yet by your grace you have saved. Through faith in Christ you have saved us. And you will keep us to the very end. What you have begun, you will finish. And Lord, we thank you that that is the kind of God we believe. Lord, as we think about not only the beginning of our salvation and where we are right now in the middle, but even to the end, Lord, may our eyes continually be fixed on you, the author, the perfecter of our faith, keeping you as the goal of salvation. For Lord, if, if heaven doesn't have you, we don't want it. But Lord, where you are, there we want to be also. And that's your promise. That's what Jesus promised us. Where I am, I will bring you also, that you may be with me. Oh Lord, we look forward to that day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.